Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Playful Humans podcast. I'm your host, Mike Montague, and my guest this week is a Lego serious play facilitator and researcher. It's Wendy Dykes-McGee. She's right there. And um, we're going to be talking with her about what it's like to play for a living and how you can discover your creative confidence with Lego and more. And uh, if you're looking for more inspiration to rediscover the power of play in your life, go to playfulhumans.com. There's a playfulness quiz there, a cool community, and all kinds of fun stuff for other adults trying to rediscover the power of play. Here we go. Don't wait for tomorrow. Just the woohoo. Wendy, welcome to the podcast. We like to start with the joke of the week. The joke of the week this week is brought to you by fireworks. Fireworks are a blast. Uh, <laughs> someone stole my limbo stick, Wendy. I mean, seriously, how low can you go? <laughs> okay, that's all right. Good. That's all we got. <laughs> uh, two quick ones this week. Now, I think this is interesting because I like to talk to playful people, and I think. Some people that hesitate to be playful as adults feel like they have to be serious or they're not the bow tie wearing like clown, you know, balloon animal making type of person. And I don't feel like that's your personality. So how did you get to uh, researching play and creative confidence with, with Lego, but not necessarily being the uh, the class clown? Sure. No, great question. And and first of all, Mike, thanks for having me out today. This is this is fun to play with you for the next few minutes. Um, so just this will probably take us on a rabbit trail. But how how it all started was um, at 17. My very first job was working at Disneyland. And so I now at 50, I always say I've had the serious jobs within fun environments. So I worked for Disney for six years and then went on to work uh, for the Lego company and helped to open up Legoland California. So I was part of the original construction crew is what we called ourselves um, back in 1998. Um, And I was hired to launch Legoland California. So my job there was organization development and training. So I did a lot of the hiring of and onboarding and development of the employees for over a decade. I was with them for 11 years. And so, um, as I said, I've always had the serious jobs within the fun places. And so I think I've just always enjoyed this environment, but I'm all about getting work done as well. And I, I believe that there, there can be a balance of um, play, and I'll explain what I mean by that, and um, actual, actual real work, for, for lack of a better term. And that's one of yeah. the things I think when I transitioned my career to, I say, the dark side and became an academic, <laughs> I said, how can I help people in organizations? I'm an organizational psychologist now. And so how can I help people in organizations to really see that real work can get done without being so stiff and serious all the time? And so that really was the impetus that led me to kind of say, what can we do to challenge 
organizations to think about this, especially because, as you probably know, this is the first time in history where there's been five generations in the workplace. And so you've got a really diverse group of individuals, um, not only in age, but diversity of thought and things like this, that that it matters how we do things. And we have to think differently about how we're doing work. Uh, there is a, a lot to unpack there. And I think I'll start with the last one first. I think it is an interesting time also just in humanity. We've gotten to this point with technology where we've kind of over-optimized it. It sucked out all the free minutes in our, our day and our leisure time and a a lot of other things that maybe aren't necessarily healthy or we weren't thinking about as conscious choices. And I think it's time to to revisit some of that, but also with the the generations and the, the latest research into play and health is like, we know that kids need to move more. They're not, you know, getting out and playing and recess is being taken out of schools in the name of productivity. And we can talk more about that because it's not true. Uh, but also with uh, older generations that are living longer, they need to be healthier longer. If you want life in those years at the end, when you're living longer, you need to move. You need to stave off Alzheimer's with creativity and using your brain and, and stuff. So I, I think there's a bunch there. But I also love what you said about having a serious job in a playful company. And sometimes I've had playful jobs in serious companies uh, as well. And I, I find that really interesting that some people think it's one or the other, that the play is the opposite of work and uh, you're either serious and we're taking this serious because we work in a hospital or you're playing around, you're goofing around at a, a radio station or a concert in your concert and you're not doing something that matters. So can you talk, I'll let you pick which one goes first. Why play matters and is serious or uh, why play is productive? Yeah. So first off, I'll say at the opposite of play is not work. Um, it's actually literal mindedness and uh, or one dimensionality. And so that's really where we're going about where where my challenge is to reframe play in the adult vocabulary, because, as you said, we need play in order to help us continue thinking and thinking differently and creatively and innovatively. We know that one of the top traits that organizations are looking for in their senior leaders is innovative thinking. And so if we are not playing how and playing with ideas, playing with thoughts, um, playing with the challenges before us, how are we then stretching our mind um, to think differently yeah. or else we'll continue I'll two things to on to, to that real quick. One is I think people think, Work is uh, the opposite is play, but the opposite of both of those is sloth. It's sitting around not doing anything in front of Netflix. And, and the other thing I think people miss a lot is that uh, most people, when they run into a challenge, do one of two things, more of what they were currently doing or less of what they were currently doing. Right. And only something like 3% of the population as adults do anything creative or look for problem solving around an obstacle rather than through it or, or giving up and, and trying something else. And mm -hmm. I think that's the part that I'm really interested to hear how you use Lego and, and other things to focus on creativity. Yeah, for sure. So that is where my medium for encouraging this 
new way of thinking, this creating a divergent mindset, allowing yourself to explore is through Lego and specifically through Lego Serious Play. So as I've mentioned, I worked for the Lego company for over a decade and so had a, you know, a, a beautiful introduction into what the organization is all about. And a lot of, as you, as most people know, their research and, and their toy product is typically thought of to be for children. But I'll tell you a secret. The number one toy product um, at Lego traditionally sells to men over 30. So <laughs> you are. I resemble that remark. So that is my background. Thank you. Yeah. But um, in 2002, um, the gentleman who was the director of education programs for the Lego company out of Denmark, that's where the headquarters is located. Um, he was challenged by the Lego group to build an internal tool for them using their own product to help them think through strategy. And it was such a success. So he collaborated with a couple of um, really smart people from um, a business school in Luzern, Switzerland called IMD. And together they created this methodology using traditional Lego bricks um, that really helps. And again, it was meant to be an internal tool originally to help the Lego group itself think through some changes that they were going through. What proved to be so successful that they started training others outside the organization to use the method with the purpose of going out into organizations to use this, you know, on a wider range. And it's more popular in Europe because Lego just tends to be um, people's first word when they're <laughs> when they're born over in Europe. And in the U.S., we're having a harder time um, getting it out there, but it's starting to take off. I don't know if you recently saw the Wall Street Journal article that mentioned um, how people are bringing Lego back into the workplace. And um, we got a little nod in that, which was cool as well. Yeah, I think all of that is awesome. And there, there's something that came to mind for me when I started looking into it for my myself. And I think that's what you said about the difference between convergent and divergent thinking. And yep. the Lego products that happen to do well are really around the world, but also specifically in the United States is our schooling trains us to follow instructions. So when you get a Lego kit and you're building, you know, the uh, Voltron behind me or whatever, and they give you all the pieces, you're really just putting together a puzzle. You're looking for the one right answer of putting these few hundred or thousand pieces together. Uh, but the opposite of that is really more interesting to me. And I, I'm wondering what you think of how we encourage more adults and kids to play with the creator sets that you're getting a bunch of Legos with no or little instructions and you build something out of it. I, I've done a couple of books and exercises with different Lego challenges that you can buy. And they say, build the wobbliest structure or the tallest structure with whatever Legos you have laying around the house. Those challenges, there is no one right answer. There's unlimited numbers of answers and ways you can put um, Legos together. So how do you think about that? Do you think there is um, still benefits to the kit building of, of puzzle solving and mindfulness and, and stuff? Or do you really think we need to focus on the divergent creative builds? Yeah. And let me let me answer that by sharing what Lego series play is all about, because I think it will address that in that um, in the world of Lego, whatever you make, it's right. And in, in Lego serious play, it's not about 
um, about the brick necessarily. It's about the meaning you attribute to it. And so I think as adults, that's the reframing that needs to happen is that we're using the brick to tell a story about something and make meaning out of something that's important to us. And so when we're building with Lego serious play for purposes of developing this um, perspective taking, this divergent mindset, this way of innovating, we're giving a prompt that doesn't have a, a flat solution or one solution. You know, in the academic world, we call that equifinality, which means multiple plausible solutions to the challenge. And so that's what we're saying is you can't go in knowing the right answer. You have to believe that the answer is in the room and that when people start to build something external of themselves, deeper learning happens. We know that back from the um, psychologists of Piaget and then Papert out of MIT, Seymour Papert, who, you know, is famous for the kindergarten lab that he created at the MIT school, right? Um, all about play. We know that when we build something external of ourselves, this deeper learning can occur. And so that's what we're trying to get at is um, putting two bricks together using Lego um, and you call it something and you create meaning out of it, that is the challenge. And then it starts to, you know, your skill level starts to grow. We're not in Lego serious play. We're not looking for the best model. We're looking for the deepest meaning. Um, I love those serious play kits don't even have a build in them. They have exercises like this of, of build something that represents you or the team, not, uh, there's no right way or or instruction like on the box of how to put it together, well, which I, I love. I'll say this, Mike, you said that about the instructions, you know, having worked for the Lego company and knowing some about their their history, when Lego first started to put their kits into systems of play is what they called them. They There really was a debate in the organization about whether or not to even include instructions, right? Because they they want people to think differently and not be told what to build, right? And so after a long debate, they decided to put instructions, as you know, but if you're familiar with a Lego kit, any of them, they're not traditional linear instructions that are written out. They're usually pictures and there's very few of them, right? I mean, you might have seven instructions for a small kit. You might have up to 50, 55 instructions, but they're not detailed step-by-step instructions. It's a little bit different. And so that was kind of a compromise that they came to. Well, I think even just thinking about it like a, a puzzle, puzzle is a great way to play. If you just have a basic uh, 10,000 piece jigsaw puzzle, you're going to spend a lot of time thinking and, and working with your hands and uh, thinking to yourself and, and pondering and solving problems and looking for things that's challenging your brain. So I, I think there is something that to that in the classic builds, but um, I want to bring up one point. I don't know if you know this one or not. So this is going to be a pop Lego quiz here okay. for you. <laughs> If you have six of the basic eight studded Lego bricks, do you know how many possible combinations there are of shapes you can do with just six bricks? And I should know the actual number, but isn't it something like 900,000 something? Yeah, it's 109 million possible combinations. A lot of people forget that the bottom ones also have plugs. So there's eight on the top, but there's eight on the bottom as well. But then also the number of possible. So, and that's just six bricks. There are... 109 million plus possible combinations. Is there one right answer for the way to put six bricks together? No, of course not. It depends on what you're trying to accomplish. And when we think about this with our teams, what about humans? 
humans have way more than six possible ways to interact with each other or connect. Is there any possible way if you have a team of six salespeople or engineers working on a project that there's a right way to put them together or to accomplish the task? Like there's no possible way. It, it becomes infinite. And I think there are really great lessons like that with Lego that you start realizing Oh, well, these are even finite things. Computers, if you bump that up to like 12 bricks, if you just double 12 bricks, it would take a computer years to even calculate how many there are. So yeah. it, it basically becomes infinite uh, at that point. And that to me is just shocking. And, it, and it's a really cool revelation of like, oh, well, I'm just improvising and I'm making this up as I go along. That meaning is mine. And, and looking for a right answer is pointless at that point. Yeah. No, we do this exercise where we'll hand out six bricks um, and there's they're yellow and red. And we ask each participant to make a duck. And it's so fun around the room to see that not one duck looks the same. And so we can all agree that they're ducks, but everybody has a different perspective on what a duck is. And that's another fabulous um lesson I think in play is that, and, and in business is that we have to be able to see everyone's perspective. We often think in, in the organization that we're talking about the same topic, but if we really step back and see, we might be defining it differently. Um, Ed, Edward de Bono is an author that I've enjoyed reading and he talks about, um, this this idea of parallel thinking. And he says what happens in, in the workplace is that we all start talking about a challenge that we need to solve. But and we don't realize that we're looking at it from different perspectives. So he uses a house as the example. He said, you may be standing at the back of the house. I'm standing at the front door. Someone else is standing to the west and another person to the east. We all start talking about the house and I'm talking about the beautiful red front door. And you in the back are thinking, yeah, I don't see a red door. I see a pool and a slider. Um, someone to the east is saying, well, I don't see either of those things. I see a small window and I hear a shower running. Right. And then mm -hmm. the person on the west says, I see trash cans. Right. And so what DeBono says is we need to get everybody around to the same side of the house before we start the conversation. And it's such a simple concept, but we don't do it. And so this is where Lego can help us as well as we're trying to solve these complex challenges is it takes the, it takes that piece and gets everybody around to the same side of the house so that you can start the conversation in a place that's going to help solve the challenge in front of you. I love that. I, I think all that creativity to me makes a ton of sense. And just practicing those can open it up to other uh, options. But you also put the word confidence with it. So yeah. uh, creative confidence is something that I think is interesting. And I talk a lot about I'm working on a book um, right now and creativity and confidence. I put in separate buckets yep. because um I think, you know, brainstorming people say there's no bad ideas or, or whatever. And I think there are ways to be creative with uh, imposter syndrome <laughs> or uh, with overconfidence that, that's tough. But I think the mistake I see people make is they think you learn how to be confident by winning. And the opposite is actually true. You learn to be confident through failure and overcoming that failure. And so sometimes creative or or specifically play activities give you the place to fail and to learn and try. And then over time, you develop the confidence where if you only wait until you're right, 
then you get that imposter syndrome of, okay, well, this can't be too easy. Or you paralyze and waiting on perfection and all green lights before you start your journey. And none of those are, are very helpful. How do you think about creative confidence? Yeah. Oh gosh. There's so much in that, Mike, that I, and I, you're so right about failure. And the, the beautiful thing about Lego is you can take things apart and put it right back together again before it's glued in place or inked on that strategic plan. And that's the beauty of using Lego in organizations is that with the way um, society is moving and all the changes and the unpredicted pivots that need to happen, we can use this to create simple guiding principles instead of have these ink strategic plans that are outdated the next day, right? So that's just a side note. But to define creative confidence, um, so my my research has been using Lego Serious Play and, and using that with adults to develop creative confidence or to see if, to explore if creative confidence um, develops within them. And so creative confidence is defined as really the ability to take a different perspective to use your divergent and your convergent thought together to create solutions. It's the courage to test something out, to experiment. So it really is different than creativity. When we think of creativity, we often think of fine art skill, things like that. There, There's a lot of research out there, whether an individual can be born with create creativity or whether it can be learned. Um, I'm not here to debate that, but what I am here to say is that all people can develop a creative, creatively confident mindset. That's a muscle. It's a psychological mindset that can be worked on. And so we can challenge ourselves um, through Lego, through Lego Serious Play to, um, to think differently, to take perspective, to build our courage, to build our self-efficacy, our confidence in what we're doing. Yeah, it's interesting what you said about creativity. And just my thought is, um, there's been research that says like in third grade, 80% of students have genius levels of creativity. And by the time you graduate college, less than 3% of people do. Uh, and mostly that's trained out of us. And we grew up and we start taking things seriously or uh, nurturing that creativity. And I think that's what this type of play can do with your team. The other side of that is um, I found that there's so many different misconceptions. I've always been very logical, like a scientific mindset. And I didn't realize that was creative until I was in my 20s okay. that I thought I just came up with interesting combinations. I'm like, well, I didn't create anything. I just took three things that already existed and mixed them together. And I found a way to fit that would solve our problem. And then I had a really good teacher that was like, that's cr creativity, you idiot. And I was like, oh, I just needed to think about it differently. Yeah. And, and that made a lot more sense. But before we uh, wrap up here, I wanted to ask you what maybe some creative ideas you have or ways that you've seen companies use Lego with adults, because I've seen everything from reward programs where when you're hired, you get a little minifigure that rec represents yourself and you can design it and then you get badges or awards or accessories every time you you know, hit a new accomplishment in your, your goal to the stuff we've been talking about exercises and, and play to just leaving them in the middle of a conference table and, and teams giving people, you know, something to fidget with and stuff. Have you seen any really interesting or, or playful ways to use Lego that we haven't mentioned yet? 
Yeah. So, so I do need to say that the full Lego serious play method, you know, if, if an organization does that, you can have a workshop anywhere between four hours to two days, depending on what, how complex the challenge is that you're trying to solve. And that really is a beautiful way to use Lego to work through something that you're not sure of what the answer should be and that you need to have a hundred percent participation around the room. Cause as we know, oftentimes 80% of the work gets done by 20% of the people. And so what Lego does is it invites all of the voices and then you build something collaboratively together that serves as your, your movement point, you know, your aspiration of where you want to go. So that the Lego serious play method is one. Another thing we're doing with Lego is bringing into organizations is thinking in 3D. So it's not the full Lego serious play problem solving method, but it's saying, how can we get our hands on bricks when we're just trying to talk something out or describe something in more detail. And so thinking in 3D with Lego and anybody can do that. Just get a bucket of bricks that you have sitting around your house. Like you said, throw it on the boardroom table and allow people to build out what they're thinking about something. Um, and that can really spark some really interesting conversation. I use it in my classroom when I teach. I have students say, build one thing you learned from class tonight. And it's really interesting to kind of see what happens in that. And it sparks more dialogue, right? Uh, I love that. And it sparks some ideas in me. I'm thinking of just ways you could build an organizational chart with many figures or with pieces. And a lot of people haven't really thought that creative about it, but you can write information in dry erase or in other even permanent markers on uh, different Lego blocks and then arrange those in different patterns, kind of like the old magnet. Oh. <laughs> I've been sick this week. Uh, the old magnet uh, word thing where you can arrange them in different sentences. And so you could use Lego blocks to represent chapters in a book or a strategic plan or other things. And um, we use them in the sales training company I, I work with. We call it the Lego block approaches. When we're designing a program, we have about 30 different skills for sales, like listening or questioning or um, closing or presenting. And every company doesn't want to work on all of those and you can't start all at once. So it's how do we arrange these different blocks in the way that makes the most sense for the learner or for the organization to accomplish their goals and, and interesting ways to arrange that. I've never thought about it. it. It is different in 3D than just a digital space. And in, you know, an Evernote or a, a shared Google Doc is nice for collaboration, but you don't really get to see it and feel it and move right. stuff around in the same way. Yeah, you're right, Mike. And we need to get past the fact that play is not work, is is not serious. And so one of the things I like to champion is, you know, reframing this definition of play and talking about why play is so serious. And so I would just kind of close by saying that, remember that the definition of play is something that's meaningful, something that's intentional, something that has a process to it and something where learning takes place. And so if we're thinking and redefining play in our minds with that rich of a definition, think about all we can accomplish when we're using, when we're playing with ideas and challenges. I love it. Once again, we're talking with Wendy Dykes-McGee. You can connect with her on LinkedIn. Just search uh, Wendy with an I there and uh, you will find her. I'll also put the link in the comments or show notes, wherever you are listening or watching to this. And uh, she's a Lego Serious Play facilitator. So reach out to her and do a, a workshop with your organization. Now, Wendy, are are you ready to play a game? Oh, sure. Let's go for it. All right. We have a wheel with uh, 10 games that it could land on. And you got 
Two Truths and a Lie. Two Truths and a Lie <laughs> is the game where you make up two fun facts about yourself and one that is fiction. We'll try and guess. Do you want to go first or second? Um, I will go first. All right, let's hear them. Okay. Um, as of today, uh, my sister and I are the same age, but we're not twins and we have the same biological parents. Um, I survived the Titanic and, um, I mentioned I worked at Disneyland uh, back while I was in college and I played Belle. Ah, okay. Hmm. I'm going to go with the last one is the lie. I think the bell. Uh, oh, what is, what is you are correct. Ah, nice. I got it correct. Uh, one point <laughs> for me there. Um, it seems like I know you, I love that you um, share this personality, but you've kind of said that like, you know, being the performer is not your, your thing. And ah, I, I like that. Okay. Uh, so that's how I got you. All right. I got some Lego ones for you. Okay. So this is going to be tough here, Okay. but um, I have over 250 minifigures. My record is over 10,000 pieces in one week or uh, putting together and assembling. Or uh, I have a complete Lego space childhood uh, set from the 80s. Oh, gosh. Okay. I'm going to guess number two is your lie because you may have done more than that. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't actually counted. But no, I was counting that with our uh, my Playful Humans background here on the world map. Okay. That was that's somewhere around eleven thousand pieces. You have about a thousand left over when you're done with it because uh, they okay. want to give you some options. Uh, but I finished that one in a week. That was super fun. Okay. Um, the Lego space. I had the kit, and I think they're at my parents' house. It's all broken out. I really want to find them all and do it. Okay. But uh, I would love an '80s uh, Lego space kit. That, yeah, that's, that's amazing. I mean, the coolest thing about Lego is you can put together Lego that was made yesterday with your kit from the 80s, from the 1960s when it first started coming to the U.S. So that is uh, so awesome. So um, I appreciate you playing. We kind of already let you have final thoughts, but any asks or gives for the audience here before we uh, end any way we can help you or you can help us? Oh, gosh, that's a nice question. I think help us to champion um, play in a positive way out there in schools and organizations with uh, with leaders. Why once we turn 18, do we have to stop playing? Um, Let's keep let's keep playing with ideas and thoughts and building creative confidence in each and every one of us. I love that. Once again, reach out to Wendy McGee on LinkedIn and that link is in the show notes. For more information on Playful Humans, you can find us at playfulhumans.com. We have some different play shops as well with uh, trivia game shows. There's a personality quiz and uh, all kinds of fun stuff, really just encouraging adults to get outside and play and whatever that means to you. Uh, We both love Lego, but there are plenty of other ways to play with uh, sports and puzzles and artistic creations and music. So go out there and do what you love to do. And if you can't be good, be good at it. That's what I always say. Don't wait for tomorrow.